Welcome to another exciting episode of the Life at Ahead podcast. Today, we're delving into the captivating world of athletes who have successfully bridged the gap from sports arenas to office spaces. We'll hear firsthand accounts from former college and Olympic athletes who share their incredible journeys, notable achievements, and how they apply the skills and values cultivated during their athletic careers to excel in their professional lives. Our guests today include Kira, who played soccer for Loyola University, Flavia, who swam for the Swiss Olympic team, Urvashi, who played basketball at Delhi University, Rafe, who played football at Yale, and Nikhil, who is the captain of his intramural cricket team. Whether you're an athlete looking to make the transition or simply seeking inspiration to excel in your professional life, this episode is packed with stories that will surprise and motivate you. Get ready to be inspired by the incredible journeys of these athletes as we explore the fascinating intersection of athletics and the office. Let's get started. Welcome, listeners. I have Kira Murray with me today. Super excited to have her on the podcast. Kira, we've been working together forever, uh, not really forever, but uh, for your entire career ahead. I'm excited to hear about your athletic career and uh, get the opportunity to tell your story on this podcast today. But before we begin, can you give a little introduction on yourself? Of course. Thanks for having me, Nick. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, my name is Kira Murray. I have been at AHEAD for a little over six years now, um, a few different positions within the marketing team over the years, of course, um, but I'm currently the manager of AWS Solutions Marketing, so a new role for me. Um, I'm based in the Chicago office, and yeah. Just to add a little more color to that, Kira crushes anything she sets her mind to, uh, and I'm sure we're going to go over that in some of uh, her athletic journey uh, in her life. And so to get things started, I mean, I'm looking at your shoes. You got the Sambas on. I know you play. <laughs> I know you play D1 soccer. I know you're super competitive, Gaelic football. Uh, you definitely, I'm going to guess, hate losing more than you love winning. <laughs> I'd say so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, super excited to kind of hear more about uh, background on what sports you played and, you know, what drove you to play those sports. Yeah, so uh, you mentioned both of my my major sports. I, I grew up playing very competitive, you know, so obviously soccer, basketball, any really anything, um, any team sport with a ball, um, and now currently play uh, Gaelic football as well. And I know you were a D one athlete, Loyola. Yes, i I played um, I played soccer at Loyola Chicago. Uh, you probably know us from our 2018 Final Four appearance or from everybody's favorite nun, Sister Jean. Um, so, yeah, based in, in Chicago here, I actually was a walk-on my junior year of college. So played soccer competitively in high school, always knew I wanted to go to Loyola. I was the youngest of four kids to go there, was in talks with the coach, wasn't sure if there was going to be a spot for me on the team, um, but didn't end up playing my freshman year or sophomore year, um, but decided to go to Loyola as anyways. Um, and then junior year rolled around and I, I decided to walk onto the soccer team. Man, what was that like? That's got to take some guts. Yeah, it was definitely um, interesting not playing uh, a soccer for, for two full years and then trying to pick it back up again. Um, so it, it was hard. I definitely had, you know, a bit of a chip on my shoulder, um, which gave me a little bit of an edge, I'd say. Definitely hard to hop back into it after taking a break, but having that extra, you know, will to, to get on the team and, and make a name for myself uh, really helped me. 
Yeah, and I know you definitely got the school pride. Uh, I, I didn't go know this, Ramblers. but yeah, here we go. Here we go, Ramblers. Uh, is definitely a catchphrase around the office. I don't, I didn't go to Loyola. I don't have that much school pride, but that's definitely a uh, a rallying cry for me anytime I need to get some stuff going. It's here we go, Ramblers. Yep, gotta amp up the team. <laughs> what uh, what position did you play on the on the soccer team? So coming in after, you know, not playing for a bit, I was, I was a utility player. I was, you know, that you kind of have to take that role as it, you know, put me in coach. I got fresh legs anywhere you need me. So that definitely helped out. I've always been more of a versatile player, played all sorts from outside back to, to center mid to I, most of my collegiate career, I was playing uh, up top in the forward lines. Not surprised. Versatile, driven, hungry. If I knew I ever needed someone for something, whatever it was, I could probably count on you to get it done, no doubt. I'm curious, can you share a particularly memorable moment that left a lasting impact on you? Sure. Um, there's there's definitely a lot throughout, you know, the two years I was at Loyola. The the best, most memorable moment was probably my my junior year. Um, we were in the semifinals of um, our conference tournament. Uh, we were in the Missouri Valley Conference at the time. Now Loyola is in the, the A-10. It was the semifinal game. Uh, we were tied with Drake. And uh, with a, a couple minutes left, I scored the game-winning goal uh, to send us to the conference final, um, which was obviously an, a, an unbelievable moment after all, you know, it was my first year back playing soccer. It kind of everything came to fruition. It was just that culmination of this is why I did it. You know, all the all the hard work was worth it. Yeah, here we go, Ramblers. I mean, you <laughs> walk on onto the team, driven, versatile player, wherever the team needs you, you get put in and guess what they needed? A goal. <laughs> and you scored it. That's fantastic. What, what did that feel like? I mean, it was... It was a bit of a blur, uh, a rambler. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was amazing. You know, I was after being kind of that utility player. I was just the the person hyping people up, getting the energy going, reminding people. You know, when you're when you're a walk on, you don't have soccer for two years. It's it's not a part of your life. And all of these girls never stopped playing. So I was really that person to kind of remind people, like oh, this is why you love it. This is, you know, you're playing because you love the game, not because, you know, you're, you know, it's paying for school or, you know, you're just staying in shape. Um, so that was kind of my role that, you know, the the first half of the season was just reminding the team why we why would love soccer, why we played it, you know, keeping everything fun. And then it was, you know, finally my time to prove, you know, why I was really on the team in terms of performance, because, you know, you can, you can put in all the hard work and make, get the minutes, but, it always feels better to to cap it off with a goal and get some stats. So absolutely, I'm, I mean, just just getting a little bit of the chills here, <laughs> the, listening to this and just kind of, I know how driven you are, but you know, hearing this story and your passion and your why, it's amazing. So scored the goal, walk on team member. You know, how did that experience shape your perspective on life beyond athletics? You know, outside of athletics, you know, it helps managing your your workload and, uh, you know, communication. But I think above all, you know, you are working with uh, a group of people for a goal that's that's bigger than yourself. It's not just your day to day tasks. You know, it's kind of a united front. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I see that coming to life when your new role, right, when you're focused on the AWS uh, SEA, uh, when we saw the slides and the presentation internally from our team, you see all the people who are on there who have 
to work together and collaborate on this in very different roles. And so I definitely see that coming to life in your career. Absolutely. So obviously graduated, you're now currently <laughs> working. You're not uh, on the Ramblers team currently, obviously a big fan, but I'm curious, you know, what are you doing to keep the passion alive now? What sports are you involved in? Once I kind of hung up the, the cleats, it didn't take long to kind of get back into things. I am involved in a local Chicago club um, called the Chicago Aaron Rovers. Uh, we're a Gaelic football team. So for those of you who, who haven't seen it, it's a pretty cool sport. I would definitely uh, give it a quick Google and watch that first video that pops up. Uh, you'll be kind of blown away by the, the mix of sports it looks like are being played. We have a huge Chicago Irish American Heritage Club on the south side called Gaelic Park. I actually got married there two weeks ago, um, but that's where we host all of our games, uh, usually Sundays during the summers. That's awesome. And what was that transition into playing Gaelic football like? Yeah, so I kind of grew up around it. My dad and his brothers started a, a Gaelic football team in Detroit. My grandpa was a huge proponent of Irish culture in the city of Detroit. My my fiance, so my fiance, my husband now, um, <laughs> his family um, grew up playing in Cleveland, and that's how our parents kind of knew each other. So that's just a, a cute little anecdote. But so I grew up around it, watching my dad play. Um, obviously with high school and college sports, never really played uh, throughout those years. But um, once graduating, we were, my sister and I were kind of getting the itch to get back involved in it um, and my brother as well. So uh, we decided to join one of the clubs um, and it's just been a blast since. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, obviously, congratulations on uh, getting married. Thank you, uh, thank you. Very cool to kind of involve uh, another passion of yours in your wedding. And I think that's really neat. So do you have any impactful moments that you want to share uh, from your experiences on the Gaelic football team? Yeah, I mean, Gaelic football is definitely an interesting sport. Um, there's a couple clubs here in Chicago, but we we play with you know, with or against different teams from all over North America. One of the best moments last year, there's probably, I don't know, seven different divisions. So we were the intermediate division, which is just under senior, which is the highest. And we won the North American championships for the intermediate division last year, um, which brought us up to the highest division for North America or USGAA. And that was just a, a pretty awesome moment. And anytime you get to, to share the field with you know, someone you love and my sister and I kind of being able to play every game together is just something that's that's really cool. Um, we, we played soccer together in high school. Um, she's two years older than me. And then she was running track. I was playing soccer in college. But it's anytime we get to, you know, play with each other it is just an awesome experience. So, yeah, definitely. I love how you are able to almost like seamlessly mix family and passion and you know heritage and everything all together and it just like it's just really amazing to see and hear about thanks yeah i'm curious like between gaelic football and you know being a rambler what skills or rituals do you leverage from your athletics in your day-to-day -day? so obviously there's a lot of skills or rituals that out from athletics that tie into to day-to-day -day life but one thing i think you know, I had mentioned before kind of being a, a hype person and making sure people were having fun. And I think that that's something that I still try to do with, you know, my team at work or just in life is just, you know, things obviously bringing that intensity, but in a, in a fun way um, and just kind of keeping everybody positive um, when working towards that common goal. 
100p. <laughs> I uh, actually was joking. I, I believe I used to joke with you all the time that I wanted a Kira Murray soundboard for any time you weren't around and I needed to get myself hyped up, whether it was uh, Here We Go Ramblers with some hand claps or 100p or whatever any of your catchphrases were. Uh, I think I can definitely picture you being that person in athletics because I get to experience that in the office with you. And uh, I'll say it now, super grateful for you. I mean, you there have been, yeah, there's been times where you just need to get jazzed up and it's like, hey, just go swing by Kira's desk. Don't worry, something (laughs) something will happen. She'll get you hyped up. So totally, uh, totally agree with that. Here we go, Ramblers. Yes, exactly. All right, last question for you. Not sure if you have anything you want to share, but uh, any parting words of wisdom for our audience? I don't have too much wisdom to offer, um, but I will say just keep working hard at things you're passionate about, but don't forget to have some fun. Perfect advice. I think everyone can take to heart there. Uh, You're getting passionate about something, keep at it. Make sure you're having fun. Kira, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I learned so much and I appreciate you sharing your story. Nick, thanks so much for having me. Folks, I've got Flavia Rigamonti here with me today, joining us on the podcast. Super excited to hear your story today, Flavia. How's it going? Good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, super excited. Uh, We were talking before the call that you've only worked at Ahead for four years. It feels like we've been working together for way longer than that. Absolutely. It feels more like six to 10, but six to 10. Yes, exactly. I've actually put in eight years and yes, I can say that it felt like you were there for most of it. Uh, For our viewers who don't know you though, can you do a quick introduction? Yeah. My name is Flavia Rigamonti. I am the VP of services strategy and operations. I report to Tony. Uh, coffee and I support the TSS organization. That's awesome. I'm going to throw you a quick curveball. It's not on our list, but what do you think is your favorite part about your role? Oh man, how cheesy do we want to get? I actually feel like I can truly make an impact on the business. Um, I have full leadership uh, confidence and support to actually make a change. When I provide recommendations, um, my leadership listens to me and sometimes they turn it down, sometimes they don't. And uh, also I have to say, I have the best team. I know everybody says that, but I really do. Um, I think that, you know, I'm able to get things done mostly because my team is able to get things done and they're they're awesome. We're a very tightly knit group. group. We're about 30-ish people. Uh, and it's it's been a great experience. Shout out to your team for sure. And I know the feeling when I was a uh, my previous role at Ahead, I was a people leader. And a lot of the times I would get asked, how could I get so much done? Especially when I was doing a lot of the, you know, voluntary uh, tasks and workload. And I always pointed back to my team. It's because they are doing such a great job and they're getting it done that I'm able to be doing what I'm doing at the level I'm doing it at. So shout out to your team. That's awesome. Congrats. Yeah. yeah. I know a little bit about your sports history and background, <laughs> but can you provide uh, a background on your athletic career and maybe any notable achievements along the way? Sure. So <laughs> I'm going to go way back. I started swimming when I was about eight. Uh, so I grew up in Switzerland um, and I did high school in Switzerland. And then I came to the U.S. when I was about 20. 
uh, on a swimming scholarship. I went to school at SMU in Dallas, Texas, and um, I retired in 2008 after the Beijing Olympics. Um, so I've been to three Olympics, uh, Sydney, 2000, Athens, 2004, and Beijing in 2008. I think that my most notable one was the 2008 Olympics, where I was fourth in the 800 freestyle. It's an eight minute and 20 second and change raise, and I was fourth by one second. So, yeah, that, that hurt. Uh, I feel like I had my best achievements at world championships. I have three silver medals. I got the European record in 2008, which I no longer hold. I won various European titles, and I have five NCAA titles as individual. Wow. I'm like, holy cow. I, I don't think a lot of people at ahead know that they're talking to an Olympic swimmer and I, someone yeah. who's so decorated. <laughs> as you are. That's amazing. I try to keep that cat in the bag. Usually Hysum pulls it out. <laughs> well, I'm pulling it out today on the podcast. People are going to know. <laughs> yeah, it's just, um, it feels, you know, we were talking about being an ad four years. It feels like a long time. Well, this was a long time ago. So it's it's like my first career after teaching swimming lessons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, started swimming when you're a kid, got on a scholarship, recognized on the world champion level and that fourth place sounds tough. I'm sure we're going to get into that a little bit, but I'm curious how your experiences as a swimmer has shaped, like how did that shape your identity at the time? You know, I, I mean, call me the typical ops person, but I being in the spotlight is not something that comes natural to me. It's not something I crave. I don't like it. I like to operate in the shadows, but I mean, swimming, you're, you're there, it's just you in front, a ton of people. So there's really no hiding. And especially being an individual sport, yeah, you got relays, but you're still in there by yourself. And so it, I really had to learn to put my game face on, hide how nervous I was, and uh, you know, just being comfortable being uncomfortable. I think that was uh, probably one of the biggest ways that swimming shaped me as a person yeah it's one of those things where it's it's game time doesn't matter how you're feeling or whatever but when you get up on the block yeah it's time to go yeah i know you kind of hit on some of this a little bit um you know your fourth place and you being at three olympics but can you share a particularly memorable moment that left a lasting impact on you yeah i mean there's probably obviously there's goods and bads starting with let's say the goods so in 2007 World Championships in Melbourne, I got second, uh, but I I, that's where I broke the European record as first European woman to swim a 1500 meters under 16 seconds, 16 minutes. Let's go. It was actually a crazy race because I was like way behind at a halfway mark. And then like, I really just started like chewing up that variance or like that difference. And wow. I was like almost at the same level as the first person's feet by the end of the race. So it was rough. And like, I didn't even realize because I was in the outside lanes. So I touched, I finished, I saw I was second and I saw I was European record. I just lost my mind. So that oh, was, man. that was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I think a worse one is incidentally, uh, the 2000 Olympics and, uh, you know, 
obviously getting fourth by less than a second stung for sure. And I was 19 at the time. Yeah. And I came out of the pool and my two coaches, Swiss coaches, were right there and they were like dripping with disappointment. And one of them was like, oh my God, your turns were too slow. And the other one made some like awful comment. And I was like, what did you just say? Like first thing that came out of their mouth. And then you to walk out, you have to walk through this like media zone. Ooh. And the Swiss journalists were there. And one of them was like, first question that fell out of their mouth was, are you disappointed? And I'm like, I mean, now that you all are telling me that, like, maybe I should be, like, I don't know. And just dealing with public opinion after that. I mean, Switzerland, yeah, we're not that big, but we can be mean. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely hard. That's where I realized that no matter how good or how well you swim in a race, what kind of medal you get, there's always, somebody's always going to expect more from you. And yeah. you can't win golds and break world records every time. So somebody's always going to be disappointed. And so that's, I think that's where I learned that I got to do it for me, not for others. And I have to be okay with that. And, uh, and I think that's where I also learned that swimming wasn't going to be it for me. And I wanted to do to be more than known to be Flavia the swimmer. And I, that's where I knew that at some point swimming was going to be it. And I wanted to look for I want to move on and, and find something else. Yeah. And so when you were moving on and finding your next thing, I'm curious, like kind of what like skills or rituals or things that you learned from your swimming career, you know, how did that apply to your adaptation to the next thing? Oh, um, you know, for a while it was pretty hard. Actually, a lot of swimmers, well, a lot of athletes, once they retire, they have a very hard time, especially, uh, elite athletes and you see a lot of them that kind of still linger within the sport because it's it's very hard to move from being at a peak with notable notoriety and recognition to being nobody in something mm -hmm. very different mm -hmm. so a lot of people have like never really move on or and i think i was fairly conscious of that and just made it a point like you know what we're starting from zero starting from the bottom let's move on and uh I feel like I just kind of had to resort to, you know, just getting it done and knowing where I stood and, uh, and put into work. That's, I think that's something I learned from swimming for sure is you got to put into work. No, you can have talent, but talent can only carry you so far. And I took the discipline that I learned from swimming and uh, perseverance and back at it. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, anytime you might get a no or a rejection in something, maybe you look back to the, uh, to your time in the Olympics and you're like, well, at least I'm not going through a media zone after I submitted that, uh, project <laughs> request or something. <laughs> well, I mean, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really like the, uh, the discipline and the training that you're talking about, right? You need to have that uh, talent can only get you so far. Um, but you know, you got to put in the hard work, a lot of the gym culture that I see either on social media or kind of people experiencing when I'm at the gym. And, uh, one of the recurring messages I see a lot is like, doesn't matter, get in, pay your dues. Like today's a day you need to get in there. You need to work. And part of that messaging too, is that like, you don't always have a hundred percent. Like you're not like, if you're always at a hundred percent, please call me, tell me your secret. I'd love to know that how you can do that. But sometimes you only have 40% to give or 60% yeah. to give. 
but you still show up and you give that 40 or you give that 60%. Yeah. And you, you gave 100% of what you had to give sort of thing. So it's like coming in and putting in the effort and putting in the work always matters. And so Yeah, and I think in a company like Ahead, that goes a long way because I know we we always talk about the culture, but that's really the that's really it. You know that when you have your team, but also your coworkers, your leaders, like people you can rely on, you know that maybe one day you're at 40%, but you can rely on somebody else to help you out and pick up the pieces and together we can figure it out. We can figure out that 100%. I don't always have to be at 100. Somebody else will help, like, will help me. And I yeah. will do the same for somebody else. And and I think that that's why I love my team, but I love working on ahead. I always know that if something is not right, I know I can rely on somebody else. But I think that you earn that right by showing up, like you said, and putting in your dues and, and showing that you're willing to do the hard work to earn somebody else's willingness to help you out when you are at 40%. Yeah. And this is touching it like it. What I've found so interesting about this podcast is as I continue to talk to more people and hear more stories, there's so much overlap. So in my most recent, uh, not my most recent, I don't know when this is actually going to get published. In one of my recent episodes, Living Our Values, Ben Montgomery talks about the importance of empathy and building relationships and that you don't actually have a, if you're always asking someone for something and you're never giving anything, that's not a relationship and that you need to put in like put in the the time and put in the effort and build a relationship with someone. And it's a two way street. And the other thing that I'm also picking up on is um, I believe it was in our culture of belonging episode. I had touched on this, but like that's that teamwork mentality and that drive that we have here at ahead. That's so infectious. And when I was on leading a, my previous team, that's the kind of thing that we would embody all the time. It's like, you just got a hundred slide deck that you need to turn around in 30 minutes. Like it's almost impossible by yourself, but as a team, okay, who, who can jump in where are we let's, how do we divide and conquer? Okay. You got the first 30, you got the second 30, you got the third, like the last 30 or whatever it is. And when you finish one of those parts, you jump into the other thing. And so while someone might not be able to get it done themselves, everyone's willing to roll up their sleeves, jump in and make it happen for each other. And you can do, you only do that by like being able to do it yourself first. And then like building that trust and that relationship with folks. And it's kind of like a trust fall sort of thing where you're like, all right, like I know my teams can catch me here. And it means a lot. Yeah. But yeah. Well said. <laughs> Thanks. I, I'm usually trying to get other people to Look talk. Now I'm going on, yeah, now I'm going on my own tangents here. Uh, is there anything specific that you want to share about your swimming career that you think is really relevant to today? I actually think that one of the, while you were asking me that, I was thinking defiance probably. I've always been one of those people, my parents, my coaches, with anyone that has had doubt in my ability to deliver on swimming results, deliverables, whatever it is, I've always been like in the back of my head, you just wait. I will prove you so wrong and I will give you the biggest fat I told you so. <laughs> Which I never really do, but I take an opportunity where somebody is doubting me to some extent, I take it as a, as a challenge. For myself, I'm like, all right, I see you and I'll see you back here once I have accomplished whatever you think that I can't accomplish. Yeah, that can always be a really great motivator. I don't know. I, I also get kind of fueled by that as well. Yeah, I think that that's definitely something that has been a constant. Even I mean, recently married, my my dad even put in his speech at the wedding that I've always been defiant like that. And uh, sometimes to a fault, but I feel like 
I see that in myself today. When say somebody said like, mm, you're not ready for that. And I was like, you just wait. And I yeah. think it's like, a, it's good driving energy when I try to keep it non-toxic uh, <laughs> for <important>. myself <laughs> and not get too obsessed. But it's, it's definitely one of those things that swimming taught me because I've had more than one, we call them wood medals where I, you get fourth. Like I had more than one. Once I got fourth in a race at European Championships by four hundreds of a second. Oh. We're talking about like eight minute plus here. And you can totally see me cursing on the big screen because they showed the, the arrival. You see my face and me cursing. And I was like, you just see. Like, and then two weeks later, like I broke Swiss record. Different race, obviously. Uh, so yeah. It, I think all these things are all those disappointments that turn into like, you just wait and see. And it's like, it's a hard work and putting in your dues and relying on your team and come back and do a big comeback. Plenty of those stories. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even the, yeah, like you said, the record, you were way behind until like halfway into the race and then you made up for it and broke that record. Got second, you said, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's amazing. I um I think it's always good for to be challenged sort of thing or like I don't know it just kind of gives you that target to hit and a motivation to go hit it sort of thing and so like that's I think that's why non-toxic defiance can be very powerful because it's uh it's like an all-in-one package I don't need another emotion or another thing to do it it's already been like oh you already told me what my limit is and that I can't do it now I'm motivated to go break that and time to put in the work because I can have the talent, but unless if I'm going to, you know, have the drive to do it, it's not going to happen. Mm-mm. Awesome. Flavia, that was amazing. Last thing for you here. Any parting words of wisdom for our audience? Ooh, so that's a tough question because um, there's a lot of parting words. Um, I think that I would say based on what we talked about, I would say always be yourself, always be your best self, show up for yourself, for your team. And I think that outcomes come out of it. And then I think for me is, you know, do the things because you want to do them because they motivate and enhance who you are, not because somebody else is expecting you to. I mean, we all have goals. I mean, we have literally financial goals, but ultimately we show up to like for ourselves and for others. So staying true to yourself and and do what you want to truly want to do. Uh, it's what's going to drive the better outcome for yourself and for your team. If you're seeking approval from somebody else, it's it's always going to be chasing chasing waterfalls. <laughs> yeah, I'm technically living on someone else's terms instead of your own. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yes, well said. <laughs> <laughs> One last fun question that I kind of want to get into, but I'm, I'm like testing the water here. I kind of want to hear about what it was like being an athlete in the Olympic Village. it is exceptionally stressful you're surrounded by thousands of athletes that have been working their butt off for four years for their seconds to minutes a race and everything comes down to that so everybody is super super stressed then after the race it's a different story Uh, (laughs) I think we could leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, literally, Flavia, thank you so much for hopping on this podcast. It was fun getting to hear more about this and uh, have a great rest of your day and enjoy your weekend. Yeah.
Yeah, thank you. You as well. Howdy, folks. I've got Urvashi from our India region on the podcast today. Welcome, Urvashi. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. I am Urvashi, the Senior Marketing Manager at Ahead in India. Very cool. Uh, tell me a little bit about your role. Um, I'm a results-driven growth marketer with about uh, 10 years of global experience in leading transformational campaigns, uh, brand development, and uh, data-driven content strategies. I'm also an expert in uh, media NPR, wherein uh, I have a strong track record of boosting uh, revenue and profitability for high-growth businesses. That's awesome. I've been seeing a lot of the work that you're doing over uh, in our new geo, the new office, the testimonials, everything else coming out of there. Super impressed and uh, kudos to you and the team. Yes, thanks. It's It's been quite a journey, yes. So um, I understand that you have some athletic background or some athletic experience. Could you provide some background on you know how you keep active or what sports you've played? Certainly. So um, my athletic journey began back in school, where I dedicated a significant portion of my time to basketball and swimming. I was fortunate enough to be a part of some highly competitive teams, and we even won a few regional championships. That's awesome. I uh, I played a lot of Park District basketball growing up. My dad was a coach. Uh, we were, as kids, we were always out there in the driveway shooting free throws until dinner time, uh, making <laughs> sure that we had the fundamentals down. And then, um, you know, you said swim team. And I was actually on the dive team when I was a very young. Uh, wow. I got scared. Yeah, I got scared out of it just because one flip was good, but once they started asking for one and a half or two or backwards, I started getting really nervous and it didn't become fun for me anymore. But uh, I love swimming. Yeah, it can get a bit stressful if you really don't enjoy it. So yeah. Yeah. What uh what drove you to play those sports and are you still active today? Yes, I'm still still active active today. Um so sports played a very important role uh, in, in the school and college I, I went uh to so uh, most of my friends were athletes. So I think it, it started quite quite early on. Yeah when you're talking about school did you uh, in college did you play uh for a college team? I did I did yes I did I played for the college team as well. Gotcha what sport was that for the college team? That was basketball. Can you share a particularly memorable moment that left a lasting impact on you? I think one of the most uh, memorable moments for me was was during a crucial basketball uh, match. You know, we were we were trading behind, and it seemed like all odds were against us. But in that moment, our team rallied together, each player giving their absolute best. Miraculously, we turned the game around uh, and and emerged victorious. I think that's that's one game that taught me the power of resilience and collective effort. Beyond sports, it it showed me that even in the most challenging situations, with determination and teamwork, we can overcome obstacles. A hundred percent. I um, I like to play some intramurals. I'm also going to add esports to this. I enjoy playing video games. And there's a sort of difference between like when you're winning by a lot and there's that kind of scenario. But when you're behind and you have to work really hard to get to that win, 
like yeah. it feels better i don't i don't know about you it does it does and i think it, it's just it's that when you you know when the team really rallies and you all come together because you have like one common goal right which is to just win the game yeah i love that uh what skills or rituals do you leverage in your day-to-day from uh your athletics I think most of these experiences, like I said, have taught me the value of uh, teamwork and discipline. They've also played a pivotal role in shaping my identity, you know, instilling in me a sense of determination, a never give up attitude that I carry with me to this day. And, you know, like, like I said, I was also fortunate enough to be a part of some of the highly competitive teams. And we we even won a few regional uh, championships. So that sort of instilled a lot of these um, skills in me early on. Yeah, definitely. The teamwork, the rallying behind a common goal. I, I think there's a lot of lessons in athletics and sports that can apply to you know, the workplace and just life in general, right? You learn how to problem solve fast because it's not when they're when they're dribbling the ball up the court you're not going to say hey time out let me think about how to play defense here you have to make moment by moment decisions and uh it encourages like fast critical thinking yeah so so i i think it's the discipline and time management skills as well that i honed as an athlete that have been invaluable in my professional life so setting and achieving goals is one you know being accountable for my actions and maintaining a strong work ethic are all attributes I attribute to my athletic background. However, I did have to adapt to adapt my competitive nature to a more collaborative environment. You know how it is in the corporate world. Uh, it's not just about personal victories, but about achieving collective success. So learning to leverage the strengths of a team has been a crucial, crucial shift for me. Awesome. What are the sports you're participating in now? Yeah, so in my earlier years, I was deeply involved in sports, like I said, you know, primarily basketball and swimming. Now my passion lies in fitness, which includes hitting the gym, going for runs, uh, engaging in various workouts, and enjoying sports like golf and lawn tennis. I like to work out myself. I've actually kind of been on a fitness journey this year, and it's been so refreshing. Like, I walk out of there and I feel so much better. My mind's so much clearer. I am so much more prepared for the day. Like I know the days that I work out, I'm way more productive the rest of the day. The days I don't, I'm usually kind of lagging. Now you need rest, but um, I can tell the difference. Absolutely. And you know, the best part is that one hour or hour and a half in the gym you're completely off your phone, you know? It's just no screen, no digital time, which is something I really like. You know, you're in the moment, you're doing what you're doing and you're giving it your 100%. Awesome, Arashi. Well, any parting words of wisdom for our audience? Absolutely. I'd, I'd like to share that the lessons we, we learn in sports extend far behind the field or the pool. The values of discipline, teamwork, and and resilience are are universal and are highly applicable in any professional setting. So embrace challenges, guys. Work hard. And always, always remember that success is a journey, not a destination. And most importantly, never underestimate the power of a supportive team and achieving greatness. I love that success is a journey, not a destination. I'm going to keep that one. I'm, I'm, I'm putting that one in the pocket. That That is incredible. 
Thank you so much. All right. Well, Ivashi, thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Nick. Welcome back, listeners. I have Rafe Chapel with me here today. Rafe, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, you and I got to talk a little bit before we started recording, but for the folks listening at home who don't know who you are, do you mind uh, introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your role? Absolutely. So uh, Rafe Chapel here. I am the Cisco Alignment Director, which is, I guess, is a fancy way of saying I manage the Cisco relationship between ahead in Cisco. Um, started my career at Cisco as a sales rep, uh, spent six years there, and then I just celebrated my one-year anniversary here at Ahead. So it's been a great year. Let's get started with some of the questions. So can you provide some background on you know your athletic career and any notable achievements? Absolutely. So yeah, I played at Yale from 2014 to uh, 2017, graduated in 18. But um, come from a long line of, um, of football players. So I'm the youngest of four boys, and uh, we are all about two years apart. The oldest played at Georgia Southern, uh, was a quarterback there. And then second oldest played at Harvard, played quarterback there. Um, the third um, played at UGA, actually played tight end. He got the good genes in the family. He was like <laughs> five two fifty. The rest of us Ooh, are, dang. you know, five eleven, and you know, maybe two hundred soaking wet. But um, it, it was a lot of fun and got to look up to them playing for a long time. And one of the cool things is that my high school, there was, I think, about 12 years in a row where there's nothing, no one but a chapel playing quarterback. And uh, my sophomore year when my third oldest brother was a, was a senior, he actually hurt his shoulder and couldn't throw anymore. So he moved to tight end and then I got to play quarterback and throw passes to him, which is like such a cool experience. I mean, we did it in the backyard when we were growing up, but you never think you'd do it on a, a real playing field and um you know, in a competitive environment. Yeah, that's, I mean, so many cool things to touch on here. One, 12 years, that's amazing. And then also getting to play with your brother. I mean, I've got a younger brother. He's six years younger than me, so we never had any overlap in school. But it would be really, really cool if him and I got to play, you know, soccer together because that's uh, the sport we both played a lot. So very awesome. 100%. And look, like Harvard and Yale is one of the most historic rivalries in all of college football, you know, dating back to the 1800s. So I do I do wish, um, oh, I, it sounds funny. I wish my brother got hurt at Harvard. So then he could have took a red shirt year and we would have gotten to play against each other. That would have been cool. So he was he was a senior at Harvard when I was a senior in high school. So we just, just missed out on each other yeah and then i mean i gotta you probably hear this a lot like very manning-esque right like family all played siblings all played the same position except your brother yeah. tight end we like to say we're like the poor man's or the great value brand manning brothers. <laughs> <laughs> No one, no one quite made it to the NFL and a bunch of like smaller schools. But um, no, I think my my parents are definitely a lot prouder than we are of it. But it is um, it is, is is cool to have that experience. Yeah, definitely agree. Uh, any notable achievements? Uh, you know, I mean, the twelve years of chapel playing—that's definitely a, a family achievement. But anything for you personally? Yeah. So a lot of my career at Yale was was riddled by injuries. Mm. Um, one of the the cool things though was. I do have a record for my first ever pass at Yale was a was a touchdown, and it was to a high school teammate of mine, which, oh. was, which was really cool. So we had grown up playing football together since we were in second grade, and he was actually committed to Princeton, and then I got him to decommit and, and come to Yale. And uh, my my roommate at the time, 
intercepted the other team and brought it all the way down to like the 10 yard line. So uh, we, we ran a pass play to my, my longtime friend and teammate, Chris and um, first pass, first score. And it was, it was awesome. I, I, unfortunately I peaked then and it was all downhill from there <laughs> as, I, as I tore up my shoulder a couple quarters uh, later, but. Uh, Ooh, that's rough. Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like right when you hit your uh, longtime friend, got, got that pass to him, you catch it. You both had that look in your eyes. You're like, yep, told you so. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. No, it was, it was a cool moment. Something we'll get to, you know, share as a, a core memory for a long time. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm curious how your experiences, you know, as quarterback, both, you know, in high school and in college, uh, how your experiences shaped your identity during that time. A hundred percent. So I think it's, it's funny when people ask like, how was Yale? Like, what was it like? Um, and I tell them it's, it's about as hard or as easy as you make it. I mean, if you're a pre-med or you're an engineering track, it is very, very difficult. Um, but there's other tracks to, to make it a little bit easier on yourself from a student. And I took that track because um, I just loved the game of football. And I thought it was it's the biggest teacher. I mean, football, the game of football is just like life. I mean, you are surrounded by a group of really diverse individuals, all shapes, sizes, ethnicities, um, different backgrounds, socioeconomic or living in the country, living in the city. So like that is such a cool experience. And as the quarterback, it's your job to, to lead this group of, you know, you got guys from inner city Chicago and you got guys from, you know, Orange County, California, but you guys are all on one team and you're going towards a common goal and they look to the quarterback to lead them that way. So I think like that experience that you get over, I don't know, I think the 16 years that I played football is like, that experience is is what I use the most every day at my my job here, um, at a head or with my family back home. Um, there's there's little times where I use my political science degree um, in this role with uh, with technology at a head. Yeah, I think sports can be such a great teacher. I think especially what you're talking about with bringing a bunch of different people together, focused on one single goal right um it's just such a cool idea that that's how you can shape becoming a leader it's also how you can shape like learning how to listen and also learning how to follow too and i think those are all super valuable skills uh to have beyond just athletics in life 100 percent. i think everyone kind of gets humbled their first year going into a college program you know if you're recruited at the college level that means you know you're a top you know three four five percent guy in high school which means like you are the stud in high school then you get to the the campus where everyone was you know the stud in high school and it kind of there becomes a new pecking order and a lot of the time the first two years is like hey you're sitting as a, a second or third string guy and you have to humble yourself work learn and figure out a way to get to the position that you want to be in, which is a very humbling experience for the first couple months, but it also builds a lot of character in the process. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of the process and learning a lot, you know, can you share a particular memorable moment that left a lasting impact on you? A hundred percent. I think about um, like the injury I sustained when I was in college. So as I talked about, very humbled the first first year I came in, we actually had a, a quarterback from Clemson transfer in. And he was a stud. Like he, I think, still owns a lot of Yale passing records. And I immediately realized, all right, I'm not as good as he is right now, but it's a good opportunity to learn from it. And then I spent two years learning the offense, you know, perfecting my throwing motion, learning how to read a defense, you know, spending time in the weight room, getting bigger, stronger, and faster. And then you worked for that moment. 
and then you get to that moment and you know you're the guy now you're the starter you get to play and then all of a sudden you know one bad hit it gets taken away from you so then it, it really kind of you kind of figure out who you are in that moment you're like all right i can have a pity party for myself um or i can you know figure out how i can actually still add value to this team and not just feel sorry for myself yeah great question and how did how did you take that so i did have my pity party for at least at least a week or two. I That's, think you're entitled to that. <laughs> <laughs> how it goes. But um, then I found an immediate role kind of coaching. The guy that was right behind me struggled a lot um, in those, and we lost a lot of games. But then we had, we had a freshman who was very, very talented, but she didn't know anything because, you know, you come from a high school background where it's like, all right, I'd take a three-step drop and just see who's open, kind of backyard football style. College is much more strategic, got to read a defense. So I got to really invest my time and energy into um, that freshman who his name is Kurt Rawlings. Great guy. He's actually a coach at Notre Dame now, which is, is pretty cool. Yeah. But um, he um, was extremely talented and like eager to learn. Got to show him how to 